Ladies, gentlemen, geeks of all ages, you are now entering BJ Shea's Geek Nation. Welcome. Yes, welcome to BJ Shea's Geek Nation. I am the Reverend Fuego. Across from me is Vicky Barcelona. Hello. The show's namesake, BJ Shea, is on assignment. But running the boards is Joey D. Hey. On today's show, I will talk about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Everything. It's a D&D thing, guys. Don't worry about it. We'll also try to figure out who the hell is Bo-Katan from The Mandalorian, and some really big news for Wonder Woman 84, and of course, the Geek Sheet with Vicky B. Vicky, how can people get a hold of us? Get a hold of us via our website, bjgeeknation.com. You can have our blogs, podcasts, and more. More. Or just search for us, you know, BJ Geek Nation, BJ Shays Geek Nation, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Radio.com, and iTunes, and you'll find us. Trust me. Do it. <laughs> it's really Cut. easy. I mean, everyone has Google now, and you can us- you usually yell at your uh, phone or whatever that you have with that and uh, and say, hey, look for BJ Shays Geek Nation, and it should work. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't want to say any of the names because usually that'll happen. Like, Alexa, volume eight. Sorry, guys. Oh, and uh, (laughs) and now it's a little bit louder, so I apologize for that. D and D is one of my favorite uh, RPGs out there, and uh, they're coming out with a lot of really amazing stuff. And this is one that I've been able to kind of take a little bit of a peek at, and I'm really excited for. It's called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Now it's a magical mixture of rules options for the world's greatest role playing game as they say on their own product page. The wizard Tasha, whose great works include the spell Tasha's Hideous Laughter, which, okay, guys, I know you guys don't know about this, but it's a spell, and previously before this, nobody knew who Tasha was, really. There's a couple little bit of lore bits, but Tasha's Hideous Laughter is a spell that it's kind of a crowd control spell. You cast it on someone, and they're stuck. They can't do anything but laugh. Okay. Like cackle laugh until basically the spell wears off. So it's one of those things that immobilizes you, means you can't cast any spells or do anything, and very, very powerful. Well, they finally gave uh, her a form and her own book to explain a lot of the things out there. And she's gathered bits and bobs of precious lore during her illustrious career as an adventurer. Her enemies wouldn't want these treasured secrets scattered across the multiverse, so in defiance, she has collected and codified these tidbits for the enrichment of all. Some of the big things on this are expanded subclasses. So if uh, you know you want to do some more stuff with your artificer, you can, it appears in this book. Also, it gives you a chance if you have a character that you love, but maybe there you want to do a little bit of tweaking with that subclass, you can do so now through ways that they tell you and also your DM, so you can kind of work through that. Uh, more character options, a bunch of new druid stuff for all classes. So there's a, a bunch of different ways you can go about that. And also, this is one that I thought was really cool. Group patrons. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have heard of Acquisitions, Inc., mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the, uh, basically, it started in, at Penny Arcade Expo, and it was a group, uh, basically it was a guild. Acquisitions, Inc. would get people, usually it would start with them at interns send them on little adventures until they get bigger and bigger and bigger this is now a new thing called group patrons where you can create a group like maybe it's the maybe it's a guild like something along those lines or maybe it's a uh, a government uh, entity that's going to be uh, that's hiring you out to do these things essentially it's the same thing universities all sorts they got a ton of lists on that uh, and that way you can kind of uh, the DM and you can work through that in a story way so it's not just 
everyone finds each other in a tavern. Makes sense. So it's a way to kind of build that storyline. Plus, it gives you the chance, and it kind of turns into like a sort of mini game when you're not playing like just your normal sessions of you being the group patron. So suddenly, if your guys are like, you know, level 12 or even higher up to level 20, and maybe you don't necessarily want to play those characters, but you still love them. You have your big characters being the patrons, which are running everything. And maybe they have to go out and do the big stuff. But maybe you have some smaller characters that you guys run around with that are uh, uh, basically lackeys of your bigger characters. They're the goblins. Yeah. And uh, it turns into that mini game of having to uh, deal with allocation of resources. So if you love that sort of like management type uh, aspect of it. And a lot of the times, people really are. So um, it's it's a good way to go about all that. Um, puzzles. They actually have puzzles in there um, ready to be dropped into any D&D adventure, plus uh, ways for you to figure out how to do that. Also, <laughs> spells, artifacts, and even magic tattoos. Huh. So you can get yourself a, a, a sweet magic tattoo. And uh, uh, according to um, some of the little blurbs, it might stand to reason that Tasha has herself a magical tramp stamp. Really? <laughs> I didn't say it. It's in the book. There's lore, okay? <laughs> there is lore with it. <laughs> it's canon. Yep. Uh, it is out right now. You can get it right now. But obviously, due to shipping complications of COVID-19, if you ordered yours, it might take a little while. Check out your local game stores. Check out Barnes & Nobles online also with uh, D&D Beyond, which is how I have it. And uh, so it's a good way to kind of go through that. And also, if you use virtual tabletops, they do have stuff with Fantasy Grounds but also roll 20. And so it's kind of awesome on that aspect as well. So you get all of those things, and you can get it also for roll 20, which includes assets. So the the, the things that you need, the quick reference guides, uh, the, uh, the pictures, the maps, and uh, all sorts of things like that, monsters and all those sort of great things. So lots of fun stuff to enhance your game. Uh, I've been looking through it. It's gotten me kind of into that, well, I've got a Paladin who's level 8, and I'm trying to figure out maybe story-wise how I can tweak him a little bit. So it's a lot of fun on that, but it's also creating a lot of new uh, ideas for me to theorycraft uh, characters, and that's so much fun. As I say, do you think our old friend Chris Walker would enjoy this? He's oh, absolutely. He's a giant DM. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and that was he. Uh, him and I still game, uh, and the one he he's not the DM in that game, but he was losing his uh, S about it because uh, <laughs> apparently uh, the store that he would normally go to was closed on the whatever day it was and he was just like I had to go to like three different stores to get it and I'm like well I'm glad you did get it and uh it was great like now I, he's like, deep in the rabbit hole yeah and yeah and that's like the DM's like well we'll talk about like how we can work around with all of this but it's fun to kind of see like little tweaks that you can do on your character Moving on from that, we do need to find out a little bit more about Bo-Katan, I felt, because I have no idea about the character. And uh, with uh, all the talk about the Mandalorian and how much of a pivotal character she was in the last episode, I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about her. Oh, she's coming back for another two, maybe three episodes, I would guess, at least. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I found out this information from comicbook.com, and it says uh, with the third episode of the second season, uh, it, it was titled The Heiress, introduced Katie Sackoff to the show as Botan Cries, the leader of the Mandalorian faction different from Din's followers of the way. But this is not Sackoff's first time playing Bo-Katan. She, vo she voiced the Mandalorian throughout Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series, lending her voice to several episodes of the show's final season earlier this year. 
which is interesting because I'm only I think I'm still stuck on season one because they're long seasons. I mean, that's just how they go along with it. Um, if you didn't watch the Clone Wars, though, you may be wondering who it is. Um, Bo-Katan was once a member of the Death Watch, which I mentioned before, which is the militant Mandalorian splinter group that would later save Din uh, Din's life during the fall of the Republic. So I guess they're kind of liking it, the watch to the Death Watch. So okay. she has that connection there. At the time, Bo-Katan's sister, the pacifist Duchess Satine, ruled Mandalore. And we've been wondering if Satine was going to be in this as well. There have been rumors that uh, Becky, no, was it Becky Lynch? One of the uh, one of the WWE superstars would be that. But in fact, no, she's just one of the other Mandalorians that mm-hmm. is with Bo-Katan. Do you say she's a pacifist? Uh, yes, the uh, her sister. Not Bo-Katan, but her yeah. sister. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the Death Watch wanted to restore the Mandalorians to their old warrior culture. That's where that clash comes in. Bo-Katan split from the Death Watch after an alliance with the former Sith Darth Maul. In association, she advised against and uh, led to the deaths of the Death Watch's leader and Duchess Satine and Maul taking control of Mandalore. Bo-Katan vowed to free her people. So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Okay, we know that Darth Maul is still alive because at the end of Solo, he's the bad guy, and that's after... Three, mm-hmm. so we don't know because this is after seven or it's after six, correct? So he yes. might still be around after six before seven. And you said Becky Lynch, you meant Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks, you're right. Becky Lynch is uh, somebody else. I know. I just I knew it was the wrong uh, wrestler when I said it. But thank you for thank you for the corrections department. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so Bo-Katan vowed to free her people, which she did with Asaka Tano and the Republic troops' help on the eve of the Republic's fall. Bo-Katan and members from her clan sought out Ahsoka, and with her help convinced Obi-Wan Kenobi to work with them to depose Maul. Obi-Wan couldn't participate in the battle himself, but sent Ahsoka and Captain Rex to lead the assault. Ahsoka faced Maul one-on-one and defeated him, spoiler alert, and uh, taking him prisoner and away from Mandalore, Bo-Katan stayed on Mandalore to try to restore her home world. Unfortunately, the Empire came to occupy, which was seen in Star Wars Rebels, which was also referenced in the last episode as well, that she had lost it. She led the Mandalorian resistance, and with Sabine Wren wielding the Darksaber, managed to achieve a key victory against the Empire. Sabine gave Bo-Katan that Darksaber, and having united the Mandalorians, Sabine became the new Mandalorian leader and continued to fight. And uh, some of the things we're going to have to figure out here, also the Empire executed the purge because they did not want to uh basically the empire realized that uh mandalorians would not submit to its rule makes sense with what they are so they did the purge and attacked it and we know that with this le- le- uh, uh the latest episode that she fought the purge at some point lost the dark saber which is now in moff gideon's possession so basically that's where she is with it is man so is mandalorian under the control of the empire then right now it seems to be either part, it's either under control, because she said that it was, she still has to fight for it yeah. in the episode. So either there's just a lot of fighting and it's not necessarily under control, but or maybe it's still in the purge and they control the planet itself. It was kind of vague that I remember from the, the, the episode, but she still wants to go and take it back over. Yeah, it sounds like her sister united them. She lost control for the throne. Moff Gideon at some point came in there and stole the throne or stole the saber or something, and now it's kind of temporarily in some sort of weird place. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. kind of a good way to put yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting on that all end. Um, I'm 
really excited to get a little bit more information about her. And I mean, uh, like I was talking about with BJ, uh, like BJ watching those different parts. Like, now that I got basically the information, I still want to watch it. Okay, so do you think <laughs> we're going to get to see Mandalore, the planet Mandalore? Is it Mandalore? Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, planet yes. Mandalore by the end of the season. It feels like you got to at this point. Yeah, I really do. I mean, uh, they're looking for Asaka Tano. They gave the location, which was not Mandalore. No. And I feel that the sense that since um, uh, Moff Gideon has the dark saber and is, like you said, tracking uh, tracking our Mandalorian, that all of these people are going to have to converge at some point, and it should be by the season's end. I would hope on Mandalore. And if we know one thing, the Mandalorian has a hard time finding his people or Jedi for that matter. And he bounces <laughs> around a lot of planets doing it. So I could see easily the Jedi being here, but then not being there and then having to go to Mandalore. Yeah. You know, a little Mandalore side quest. <laughs> exactly. And I would just, I want to see all of this and the way that they've put all, all of it together. Um, every character that they've put out there has had some significance no matter what. Even with what IG-11, which was just at the beginning, turns around to be kind of the savior at the end of the first season. So, like, I don't think that there's any um, any sort of location or mention or anything that is insignificant to what they're doing on the show. All right, so what is Timothy Oliphant's character going to come back as? What is he doing? Oh, Vance, man. Uh, I, I hope it's just like... Just like star blazing coming out of the sky, just with like both blasters firing, just like I'm gonna save all y'all. Woo! Yeah, just, but that's like, I mean, seriously, he he does a lot of that in one's other shows. So he I'm gets the armor back. Hoping, yeah. yeah, I'm just kind of hoping all of that. Uh, it would be pretty badass. But I mean, you're talking about the armor as well. We know that there's still a maybe Boba Fett chasing him. We don't know necessarily, other than the fact that it was literally the previous. Um, uh, actor who did that, but also the fact that Captain Rex owned the dark saber or wielded the dark saber for a little while. I'm starting to think that maybe that that is not Boba. It's a clone, Ooh. and it's actually Captain Rex looking for his dark saber because he knew Moff Gideon was on Tatooine at the end of the season one. Oh, that would make sense. So, what is this dark saber so powerful? What does it do? I don't know. I need to learn. Well, I want to know. Saber powers. Is I it know. gonna be like the ring from Lord of the Rings, where it like corrupts you, but it's really powerful? But, uh, well, okay. So the first thing uh, I love it um, because uh, what are the advantages does the dark saber have over a lightsaber? It's like none. The dark saber does not seem to have any unique powers. It's just an ancient lightsaber with a unique color, black and shape, blade like. Um, no other properties besides the distinctive hum and the ability to block other lightsabers, which makes sense because lightsabers can do that. And I think the th- problem with it is the fact that it is the symbol of leadership for Mandalore and the Mandalorians. So to that, it's uh, it's their heir. It's her birthright for Bo-Katan and the fact that it's been taken away. It would be the same reason as like uh, if you're like in Game of Thrones and someone took like uh, the one of the Stark swords. Oh, sure, sure. And it's like, well, we need to get that back because it's the symbol of our people sort of thing. I was going to say, I played enough video games to know that when you get a legendary item and it says the word ancient in it, it's usually very, very powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Or at least, yeah, something big on that end. Um, so really kind of excited to see where all this goes. And by the way, like other than the spoilers talking about who Bo-Katan was, I, I'm just baselessly speculating on all of this. So don't take anything I say as any sort of truth, just uh, kind of uh, what I'm hoping for. 
Yeah, I've loved the this season so far, and I was not a huge fan of the first season just because I felt like the first season was very deserty, you know, like a like a cowboy western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one's a lot more of a western in space where he's going to all these different planets, and they're all very different. Absolutely, and that's kind of the fun part of about it too, because you get to see that world building beyond, like you get to see what's happening after the 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 defeat of the empire. And again, yeah, like different planets. Like that's the best part about doing something in space is seeing all the different locations. Yeah, first one was big sandworm on a western planet. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's exactly what you want to do in the first episode. Second one was like a, a space ice-like asteroid planet where he fights a giant spider horde or whatever. Yeah, sorry about that, Vicky. Yeah. And mm-hmm. third one's like this cool water offshoot, you know, species planet with a bunch of people and cool squid looking things. You know, it's, <laughs> it's very good in that sense, but I feel like we've hit a lot of different areas and you know, next one's going to be a jungle or something. Who knows? And you're speaking of squids, even like at the end of it, uh, uh, the child kind of gets his uh, comeuppance when it comes down to the chowder and uh, the uh, squid uh, oh my smacking his face again. Yep. So it was worth it. Don't play with your food. <laughs> uh, moving on from that... <laughs> Wonder Woman 84 is still scheduled to hit theaters on Christmas Day uh, if your location, uh, wherever you live, is going to have theaters open. Obviously, check your uh, state-by-state rules on that, or if you're international, uh, I can't help you with that. Um, Obviously, uh, thanks to COVID-19, the decision has been made to drop it onto HBO Max the same day. So... Christmas Day, you can either go to the theaters, if you can do so safely, or you can just sit at home and watch it on HBO Max, but for only a month. So get on it, I guess. Is this uh, an extra fee, or does it just come free to me? It comes free. You had to do a little bit of research on that. If you subscribe to HBO Max, and Vicky, you subscribe to HBO Max, right? Technically, my dad is living with me now, so I have his account. So just in case, I mean, I know that I'll have that in there. But I think I do subscribe to it. I have no idea. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, But yeah, so for a month, so from then until, I guess, January 25th, because that's usually how that works, uh, you'll be able to check it out at home. Um, Director Patty Jenkins says, quote, At some point, you have to choose to share any love and joy you have to give over anything else. We love our movie as we love our fans, so we truly hope that our film brings a little bit of joy and reprieve to all of you this holiday season. And Gal Gadot adds, quote, It wasn't an easy decision, and we never thought we'd have to hold on to the release for such a long time, but COVID rocked all of our worlds, which is absolutely true. I mean, you always hear every every brand and everything saying these trying times and these unprecedented times, but truly it is. Like, it's just one of those things that everything, and if you listen to me talk with Gareth, like just trying to like all the movie theaters trying to navigate this new whole thing. Um, our buddy Caesar, who listens to us, uh, managed to finally go see New Mutants in the theater. Him and his wife did so. He told me about it, and he loved it because he had the theater to himself. <laughs> yeah. He was the only yeah. ones there in the theater. So I mean, so like that sounds pretty nice. Yeah, if you could do so safely, and that was before. I mean, like we're in Washington State, and everything got locked down for at least the next month. He was able to do that beforehand. So. Yeah, it's tough if you don't release your movie now. You have to fight later on when they do open up, and you've already kind of paid a bunch of money for advertising earlier in this year. So you might as well, I guess, try to make up for it this way. Yeah, and I mean, as we've uh, noted with uh, Gareth, uh, everything is getting pushed back. Disney doesn't really necessarily know what they're doing. Uh, They tried it with Mulan, and I think there's going to be a lot of that coming forward as well. I think there's going to be those certain releases that are those that that type. 
Uh, we'll have to see whether or not it's pay or if it's something cool like what Wonder Woman 84 is doing. Uh, I was excited for this movie beforehand. Mm-hmm. So this actually just kind of jazzes me even more. And I'll be perfectly honest. I, I bought Bill and Ted uh, at home, watched mm-hmm. it, loved it. And this is a little more action-y, but I mean, I got a big-ass TV, so I think I'm kind of okay. And I would have paid 20 bucks to watch this, you know, rent it for 48 hours. Yeah, I think we're all at the point that $25 for a movie in our house is not a bad idea at this point. Yeah. Especially if you have your whole family watching with you. But yeah. uh, the only thing that... I totally lost it. All right. ADD kicked in. Sorry. <laughs> like, and there she goes. And there she goes. Well... Stick around because we got some more information because it's now time for the Geek Sheet with Vicky B. All right, Vicky, what's uh, what's brewing in your brain there? Is that really a question you want to ask me? No, 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 um, no. What do you got for the Geek Sheet? <laughs> mm. Oh man. Uh, so you know I love fan theories. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Here we go. Well. You know, I have only seen a little bit of this franchise, but I do love any fan theory about anything. So I found 12 Terminator (laughs) fan theories that are just crazy enough to be true. Okay, so I have seen most of the Terminator movies. I haven't seen the most recent one, Dark Fate. I'm happy to say that I've seen all all of them. Nice, good job. Are you really happy to say that? Well, you know, I love Christian Bale, but uh, I'll just forget that was a Terminator movie. Salvation, yeah, that... Yeah. I've never been more hyped for a Terminator movie when and that was spoiled and then... So let down? Yeah. Yeah, that one was not great. I do want to watch Dark Fate. Don't get me wrong. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. So what are some of these fan theories, Vicky? Uh, first one being is that Skynet is creating an infinite loop in order to improve its technology. So really interesting huh. theory about time travel in the Terminator franchise declares that Skynet isn't too concerned with the whole John Connor conundrum. No way, you guys, these robots, AI, just want to increase their tech. So basically, it works like this. The machines develop something new, like the T-1000, and send it back in time so the new technology can be built from it in the past. This speeds up the development of technology such that when time finally gets back to the future, Skynet has access to radically advanced weapons and other technology built from its formerly most cutting-edge developments or something like that. Interesting, and that kind of like just thinking about it, and just even the first line when you were talking about this, when you said that they're creating a time loop, which kind of uh, I don't necessarily f- think fixes the time travel issue, but it's an interesting way to go about it. If it's just infinitely looping, then there's no way to break the time, like the like all of the timeline, because it's just this part. That would make sense, too, because Skynet wins in the sense that they do defeat the humans up to a point right? in which they go back in time. So you could say that they need to keep powering up until they can break that. Yeah. I actually, I really like this. For somebody who doesn't like time travel, Joe, th- how do you feel? I, I, <laughs> I don't. Dark Fate just literally went off the, the rails with the whole, like, even timeline. Even the fans were like, I don't know. But just with- go with it. Right. <laughs> so the second fan theory is that Kyle Reese killed John Connor by stooping his mom. Stooping. Killed him. So one fan theory suggests that when the original John Connor sent Kyle Reese back in time, mm-hmm. he may have unwittingly killed himself. And created another John Connor. So before Sarah Connor knew about Judgment Day, she had a baby by some random guy. And that baby turned out to be a badass resistance fighter. And when Kyle hooked up with Sarah, he managed to erase the original John Connor from history and create an entirely new one. Because he was still going to be named John Connor by uh, Sarah. Because that was always the plan. It would just be 
And that's why by the time you get to T3, John is a wimp who's afraid he'll never be able to lead a resistance. And he really was, too. Yeah, and I mean, that movie wasn't great either. Basically, it was Terminator 1, Terminator 2, T3 was not great. And but it still kind of kept that again the loop in because no matter what it feels like even when they said in the end of that one is that Skynet always wins yep. it's always a thing that will happen mm-hmm. so that kind of leads credence to that as well and I I like this one as well I like all these so far all right how about Skynet doesn't actually want to kill John Connor it wants to discredit him ooh. So this is the one Terminator fan theory that makes sense of the wonky timeline in the series. As per this theory, the Terminator movies make more sense when you realize Skynet isn't actually trying to kill John Connor. The reason is just keep sending robots back in time is to make him a worse leader and mess with his timeline so he's no longer the badass he is in the original timeline. Basically, they're trying to sabotage him and ruin his revolution rather than martyr him. Yeah, if they think that there's no way for them to stop him coming out, um, and doing all of these things, if you make him a worse version, which we've seen in the previous fan theory as well, like all of these kind of all work together as that's that's cool. <laughs> uh, my brain's hurting just from this title, so Here let's we see go. if we can do it. So apparently, Terminator time travel only works in alternate timelines. So a truly interesting fan theory about the Terminator franchise uh, posts that all the time travel in the series only affects alternate timelines. So as per this theory, each time someone or something jumps back into the past, he, she, or it creates a new timeline. What's the proof? Obviously, the moment Skynet sends back the T-800 back in the 80s, there wouldn't have been time for Kyle Reese to be sent back as well. It would have been over baby. Uh, Unless John Connor had knowledge of a Terminator going back far in advance of it happening, there's no way he could have sent Reese back in time to save his mother. And since Skynet is a machine network... There's no way for intelligence to slip out through loose lips. So when Reese goes back, he's entering a different timeline than the one the T-800 entered. And, but there's also a T-800 in that his timeline, so there's that. The theory asserts that the Terminator franchise's version of time travel only works for each character traveling to the past, travels to an alternate timeline. And if this is true, by the time viewers get to the Terminator Genesis, there would have been at least eight timelines. And this kind of lends credence to what they were doing with uh, the new Star Trek movies, where it was a branch off of that. And then you just get into the arguments that Joe hates the most. So, I mean... The same thing with Affinity War, yeah. It's yeah. the idea that you can't have a person get sent back into the future or the past and then have another person a second later get sent back into the past because that future wouldn't exist anymore because you already sent someone into the past. Mm-hmm. Hence the idea of new timelines... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but the first three are good, that one, and I don't really care about that one. All right, so how about this one? So maybe Skynet didn't really give a hoot about John Connor. The robots just need to exist. So a Reddit person thinks that uh, the whole Terminator thing couldn't have existed if Cyberdyne hadn't found the chip left over from a dead robot. Mm-hmm. So Skynet likely knew this and pretended it was going to try to kill Sarah Connor so John would send Kyle Reese back in time to help kill the T-800, specifically so it would drop an arm and chip. And it turns out the best move would have been to not send Reese back and let Connor die, so that Terminator would have just had to rot in the 80s. So, But that made my head hurt. Um, The only problem with this theory (laughs) is that Skynet sending a Terminator back in time so Terminators can exist. Where did the Terminator that went back in time come from? Exactly, yeah. There's a big problem with that one there as well. You're trying, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really cool with that one as well. Okay, I I like this one, though. I like it when... 
franchises live in the same universe. Oh, here we go. So everyone knows Predator is one of the greatest cinematic oh, achievements of all time. This. Oh, no. <laughs> but there's a small contingent of fans who believe the film, while perfect and beautiful on its own, is the prequel to the Terminator franchise. What could be better than a cold-blooded, metal daddy's hot body muscle? <laughs> I'm reading this verbatim, by the way. This isn't me. <laughs> muscle daddies converging. Probably nothing, but here's what we get from point T to P. There's a cyborg and Alien versus Predator arcade game called Major Dutch Cipher, uh, Dutch Cipher, who was created to fight extraterrestrials as much as Dutch the mercenary does in Predator. Huh. So cyborg Dutch's serial number is CDS1-170A3. So does CDS stand for Cyberdyne Systems? Oh. It's possible, and if that means Dutch is an early T-800 or D-800, well, that makes the greatest action movie of all time even better. And they're mixing, I mean, obviously it makes sense term, uh, as well, because with Dutch, I mean, obviously Arnold was in, was in Predator yes. as Dutch, and then obviously he was the T-800, so they're likening that to that. And we've seen in the other Terminator movies the, uh, the, the, the industrial line of all the Arnolds mm-hmm. as they were doing it. So, I mean, sure, why not? But then also at that point, if you agree with that, uh, there have already been many of Alien versus Predator stuff, so that means Alien, and I think there's probably been comics with Alien versus Predator versus Terminator. Right. So all of these things, can you just imagine that? It'd be no. like, <laughs> what is it? What was that? The Expendables movie, but of bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh I'm okay God. with that. Like, let's just put them in an arena. I'm picturing yeah, like, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, it's man. Mixed with Gladiator, mixed with, I don't know. I kind of um, like that idea, though, if, like, the aliens got out of control, that the Predator's contingency plan was to have Terminators come over and, like, save their race. Which makes sense, because you're throwing robots at these things that have acid blood. Yep. Yeah. And, like, okay, let's send in the, again, you're, like, expendables. Let's send in the, yeah, disposables out there. Right. And, like, we'll, uh, we'll the make sure. The red shirts. Yeah, exactly. We'll deal with all of that. And, yeah, we'll be fine as we sit in the back and just pluck them off with all of our alien tech. All right, one last one. This one suggests that uh, the Terminator movies are actually happening in reverse order. So according to the original Terminator film, the T-800 was sent back in time as the last-ditch effort to kill John Connor after humans beat robots in the future. So Redditor Chairman Goodchild believes that (laughs) means this first robo-assassin that went back in time was the TX from Rise of the Machines. And when the TX failed to report back to Skynet in the future, the robots uh, sent the T-1000 back. And when it tossed it into a vat of liquid metal, they sent the T-800 back to kill Sarah Connor. And when the machines finally disappeared from the future, or then the, mach- that, the machines finally disappeared from the future. And if you're wondering how Sarah Connor has memories of the T-800 in the Terminator 2, when Terminator hasn't happened yet, it's because it already happened for her. The timeline of her life is moving forward, despite the timeline of Terminators moving backwards. Whoa. So if you're wondering why each Terminator sent back in time is an older model than the last one, in theory... Well, that's a tougher nut to crack. There you go. Yeah, I don't hey, like man. that one. Yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> that one. Yeah, exactly. That was stoner conversation yeah. right there. Oh, there's yeah. some cool ones. I'm gonna have to post these because, like, Jack and Rose from Titanic are Sarah Connor's grandparents. No. What? What? I. Yeah, you post that so I can read it and then just angrily comment about it. But what if we're the robots? Hey, man. Mind blown. You joke, but until I was five years old, I thought everyone else was a robot except me. Wow. Legit. That explains a lot of things of why you're so messed up now. Kind of, yeah. Well, until next time, guys, stay nerdy.